Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. I'm DeAndre Ash. Welcome back, DeAndre. It's been a while since I've been able to talk to you, since about this time last year. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Glad to have you back. DeAndre and I uh, actually got to hang out for two days. There was a structured hangout this past weekend. It's um, a Methodist thing. It is a Methodist thing. Something that uh, um, I've been reflecting a lot about. Two people, two friends of mine that I don't usually talk to in the past week have asked me where I have seen God. And uh, DeAndre and I were at the Methodist, um, the annual clergy ethics training together. Mm -hmm. And in years past, clergy ethics has focused on topics. It's kind of like the continuing education for Methodist pastors. Uh, and they try to focus on topics that people are concerned about in the church. And historically, that's been things like financial malfeasance, uh, sexual ethics. Those are concerning things. They are. They are indeed. Um, but I, And I'm not sure exactly how this happened. But what I heard is that, you know, as a result of George Floyd's murder in 2020 and the, uh, the uprising um, and the, just the overwhelming response of the entire nation to that event and to just the, um, the recent and not so recent history of oppression uh, to, to Black people in this country, the Western North Carolina Conference decided for these next four years, our mandatory clergy ethics training needs to be about anti-racism. Okay. So this was like the first, I guess, of four years of training. And to me, it was really, well, DeAndre, I want to ask your opinion too, but to me, it was uh, um, very strange, but also, and, and difficult at times, um, but also like, I, I couldn't help but feel a little bit hopeful that like some folks who probably never would have signed up for a training like this had to be there if they want to keep their jobs. <laughs> is, that, is that what yeah. was about it, that you were in this setting with those people or what, what is it that was strange about it? I think most of us can kind of connect with the hopeful thing, but yeah. what was strange about it? Well, I, I think I've just kind of come to accept that maybe the, the Methodist church is not that committed to anti-racism and and I never just I just never thought I would see this day when we're like actually expecting every single okay. so clergy member it was unexpected up. yeah yeah so in other words it's a good strange it was a good strange yeah, yeah. what did you think DeAndre I asked as yeah. if yeah it, it felt weird um and I, I ironically I was wondering how like my white friends and clergy and table mates were feeling I was like this must be yeah, because to be confronted with something that you've been blind to and maybe oblivious to and don't really want to face, you don't have to face. And so, yeah, I was thinking about how it might feel, you know, to be to be uh, confronted kind of with, with the truth and the way that it was structured. We had to listen and learn. And I think anybody with open ears and open heart learn. Like, I, I learned so much. It gave me language just so much. And uh, and so, yeah, but I, I agree that it felt, felt difficult um, but rewarding, especially at the end of the process, when we were able to kind of hear each other's responses and feedback. I said, oh, this 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 does work and this this is necessary. And so, yeah, it was hopeful. It's hopeful. Uh, maybe let, let's use that as a way to 
kind of make ourselves to not make ourselves take ourselves to today's readings um there's this truth out there that's always been in front of us but so many of us either didn't have to see it or we used to see it and in revelation we find a similar situation where we are presented with the world as god created it to be and it's always been here but we've only seen it as what we can manipulate it into mm-hmm. and in revelation we're given an image of what the world can be was created to be and really ha- has been a reflection of that world at least and yet we refuse to see it so i'm going to let that really weird segue mm-hmm. take us into revelation 22 unless peter who is smirking has a different idea no no no. i think we should go there and uh for for our listeners you know i i mentioned in our previous podcast that i've been doing a revelation series and I wrapped that up this past weekend and, and actually did not preach on this text, although it's, it's probably my favorite. And so let's listen now to Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of life-giving water, shining like a crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river is the tree of life, which produces 12 crops of fruit, bearing its fruit each month. The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They won't need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will rule forever and always. Then he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So what I think we do, and it's a disservice to ourselves, is we read Revelation, the whole thing really, but especially these promises at the end of the Revelation. And we jump to verse seven. See, I am coming soon. And we just mm-hmm. discount the whole thing and say, oh, that's not yet. Mm. That's tomorrow's promise. But this is what God has intended for us from the get-go. And we we push it off and we we assume that that will happen after verse seven. See, I am coming soon. And therefore it's not ours now. And when mm-hmm. we, when we do that, we, we, we short sell it to use a stock in that stock term, but we, we rob ourselves of what we could have by giving ourselves an excuse not to work for it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we assume we can't have it. And talk ourselves into being lazy. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I guess. But um, it, it's not so much, it's not self-fulfilling in that it's on us to make it. Yeah. It's, it is self-limiting in that we, 
it's not that we don't make this thing happen. It's that we don't even see that God wants to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like self-blinding. Is that a thing? Uh, we blind ourselves to the promise that is offered to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And therefore we allow all this ugliness to continue in the world where it does not have to. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's the way that we approach the whole book, right? It's, yeah. um, it's otherworldly. It's later. Um, it's difficult. And why, why not? Why not leave it up to Jesus to fix when He comes back? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it is difficult and it's messy. <laughs> yeah, and and DeAndre, I want to kind of back up a little bit and just ask you because you mentioned, you know, the how we deal with this whole book in general. Um, you know, what have what has been your experience with the Book of Revelation, and and how have you have you negotiated that, like in You've had lots of church experience, different denominations. Uh, yeah, how do you deal with this this book as a whole, and what's kind of your what what's your approach as you as you try to read it today? I, I was a part of the Church of God in Christ for a long time. Um, I was a part of the Southern Baptist Church for a while. I pastored the Southern Baptist Church for a while, and uh, there are some similarities in that eschatology. It's some good in it is that there's always a pressing idea, thought, even if it's subconscious, that concerns us. Um, and it, it, it impacts how we live, um, our idea of, of, of holiness, wrong and right, our, our decision making. And so it's pressed there, but it's always dealt with, at least in the circles that I've been a part of, as metaphor or allegory, um, as imaginative, as, um, as something that can be dealt with imaginatively, rather than looking at it how, how really the court has invited us to look at it as this can be something that can be worked out, mm-hmm. worked towards now in, in the present. I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've ever been in a conversation in the way that you kind of segued us there, Court, where it's like, oh, this is, this is now. I've, I've never been a part of pulling out from Revelation what this means for the way we live right now. Maybe the letters, <laughs> maybe the, the, the Beatitudes, but never Revelation chapter 22 as something that we can, that we can work towards right now. Well, I don't think it's something that we can do on our own. Um, right. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we suddenly read this and okay i'm god now and i have control i don't think that at all right right if that is god's vision for what the world is like and i don't think god would have a problem with yeah. us trying to make the world look like that yeah and i think the problem comes with like pre premillennial dispensationalism and stuff where you're just like well there's nothing we can do we're trapped in this right right and if i'm trapped in any system and I think that I can't change it. I won't try. Yeah. But you get this promise in Revelation, and yeah. it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. And if we un, well, I guess this may be an unintentional reference to getting back to Juneteenth. If we'll realize we're free to do so, imagine mm-hmm. what we can, not what we can do, but what God through us can do. Right, right. I remember uh, in seminary, uh, Peter, uh, I'll be quick. It was some, some theology class that I was in. And um, the uh, professor was, a, um, he was 
Like he was a theologian, theologian. But it was also like he was in the comic books and stuff like that. And one of the one of his uh, one of his aides wrote a paper about is the work of Christ does it suffice for extraterrestrial beings? <laughs> in other words, does the blood of Christ <laughs> can be applied to um, aliens? And what was the uh, response? What's that? Did your professor have a response? He loved the conversation. I mean, it was, it was, it was, and they loved this, but I had never, I thought how neat it must be to have the convenience <laughs> to think about what Christ does for aliens. I'm like, damn, like, and this was a, a, a white institution and you know, already feeling out of place. And I'm like, you're having fun with theology. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to work towards, I don't know, understanding life in America and understanding salvation and how to communicate it to, you know, poor, whatever, to the rich, to the broke, those without Christ. You have the, like, you got time for this. <laughs> Beauty of academia. I, I would, I'm, I'm not saying that I would kill because I'm still a pacifist, but I would consider it to, yeah. <laughs> be able to have that freedom. The church does not offer us that kind of freedom. Right. Yeah. Think of yeah, yeah, yeah. So things that I talk about often with friend of the yeah. show, um, Jim McConnell, yeah. how free he is to just sit there and think of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that our training uh, emphasizes that, you know, there are certain things that are good that we that uh, we should that 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 people certain people have access to and privilege to one of them being, you know, you know, time in the university to think these big thoughts <laughs> and uh, and what we should be striving for is that everyone has access to that. As yeah. It's not that we sh that that certain people should be ashamed that they sit around and talk about aliens. Right, right, right. Good for them. But but that yeah. we also be, need to be working to a world where everyone can have the opportunity to to be to have their you know you know the their basic needs met and also yeah. to have the opportunity to pursue yeah. whatever it is that they're that the they're luxury dreaming. of whimsy. Luxury. Yeah, and, and my point was that to Peter's question, um, not in academia, but in the local church. Yeah. Um, in a lot of my experiences, Revelation is out there with the aliens. You know, I guess that's, that's my point. It's just kind of like it'll be fun to do a Bible study on it. You know, um, I'm doing one after we get. You just did one, and I'm doing one after. We get from the first <laughs> right, <time>. right. <laughs> so I want to uh, go back to something that Court says said earlier about kind of blindness and seeing, because I think mm -hmm. that was a theme for the anti-racism ethics training that we were in, DeAndre. And I also want to try to give y'all a summary of kind of where, where I've taken this sermon series. I only got to preach on Revelation for four Sundays. So my first Sunday, I laid out uh, the context as best as we know it of John of Patmos and the seven churches that he was writing to, the approximate time period, kind of what of what the struggles that they were facing, the persecution, that kind of stuff, to try to really locate where this piece of writing is and to identify John as a pastor, someone who knows these people, who cares for these people. It's trying to write a message, you know, with the Holy Spirit that will provide some comfort and hope, but also not 
in too rosy uh, of a light, but but also you know shed some stark light on the real problems that they face from God's perspective. Then we preached from uh, Revelation five, where you've got uh, angels and uh, the and the elders singing one refrain about God and all of creation echoing it back. And we talked about call and response. Yeah, both we talked about that here. Yeah. In our worship um, mm-hmm. as, as a method of worship, but also how we see that then visible in that heavenly throne room. And we talked about, you know, are we living in such a way that creation actually, that the creatures of the earth have a way of, or, or, or that we're, are we living in such a way that they can praise God mm-hmm. or are we living in such a way that they feel like they need to ask God to curse us human beings mm-hmm. for the way that we're treating the planet. Uh, then we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but last week uh, or two weeks ago, I preached about revelation chapter seven where we see the heavenly throne room again. And we see represented millions upon millions from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And my message in that sermon was that for you folks, my congregation, who are comfortable in a white church, you know, sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking that, well, heaven is just going to be everything that I want it to be. Mm -hmm. But I said, but look at this scene. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language represented. And I tried to really, you know, ask people to think about, you might feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I think a better question of whether, you know, people, we talk about resurrection and, uh, and I'm not sure if it's in Revelation or if it's in another book that, uh, that, during the resurrection, the, the general resurrection, that some will be resurrected to um, eternal delight and others will be resurrected to uh, hellfire and brimstone. And I tried to reframe that to say, what if we just imagine that everyone's going to participate in the resurrection, but for some people who have been about the practice of living in such a way, expecting this kind of scene, this kind of way of relating to one another when the kingdom comes, where there will be people from every tribe and language and people and, um, and nation. For those people, there will be joy, excitement. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll ease right into that heavenly sanctuary. And then for others, and we do this to ourselves, who have been... Um, segregating ourselves intentionally isolating ourselves from other people and other languages and other ways of of living it's going to feel like hell for a little bit (laughs) you know it's going to take some getting used to so my emphasis in that sermon was that we have time right now to Mm -hmm. practice the kind of openness that will be expected of us in the new jerusalem Here's, here's why you want to practice that so, and the one word, shawarma. Okay, <laughs> so I had never had a clue what mm-hmm. shawarma was. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's listening who doesn't know, 
check it out. It's amazing. Gypsy Queen in West Asheville. Uh, I didn't know that. I will, I will check them out. But um, it's like all these different kind of meats on a stick. You can kind of shave it into a pocket. It's just, <laughs> but when I went to the Holy Land, I had, I had never heard of this thing. Mm-hmm. I went to the Holy Land, and there was this restaurant in old city of Jerusalem. And there's all this meat on a stick. And I'm like, ah, I want that in my mouth. What's it called? So I had never known it existed to envision it and imagine how great it must be. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my limits of geography, of what I had exposed myself to, had made my world smaller. Yeah. And when, when, you're, when you're exposed to a bigger world, it, it could be hell for you because you got used to what, what you were comfortable with, but it could also be shawarma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exposed to things that are wonderful that right. you would have never allowed yourselves to see. I interrupted you. No, but when you're talking about that, um, I, my mind immediately goes to... Gypsy Queen of Well, yes, but Acts chapter 6, I think it is, yeah. where Peter sees the sheet with all the different meats coming <laughs> down out of heaven. I was imagining court in the... I think it's chapter 9 or 10. It's 10 oh, maybe 10, 10, chapter 10. 10. So I'm just imagining court like in the in this like golden aura of the shawarma restaurant, and he's <laughs> got his name, kill and eat court. Oh. But then the yeah, point of that story is that he goes to the household of Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit is already working there. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Okay, well here's something to put in your shawarma pocket um, for next week. The mistake of European Christians upon, you know, during the age of quote-unquote discovery, colonization, was to not look for the activity of the Holy Spirit in the people that they were encountering. True. They assume that we're bringing the Spirit to them. Exactly. As opposed to encountering the Spirit there. Yeah. Yeah. And even further, Peter, uh, not to look for it, and also they missed the opportunity to be influenced by it. Bingo. And um, I, I talked about how um, we probably preached the same thing this past week, Cordis, like, um, and we we're looking around the church and um, looking at the pews and the stained glass windows and the Scandinavian Jesus and and uh, yeah and how not being you know a part of a larger community can leave you blind to yourself and um, and preferring your preferences and choosing you know comfort and familiarity over you know the wider experience of of the kingdom and in that you miss opportunities to to um, yeah to to, to to promote the gospel and to live out the gospel. You know? I'm working on a children's book and um, it's been done for a long time. I just never planned on publishing it until now, but I'm working with an illustrator and it's a young lady who is a student at UNC uh, in Chapel Hill. And I had no idea who she was before this. We have no existing relationship. She seems like a nice enough woman, but as we're talking, she says, now I, I assume that Jesus is going to be wearing this and that. And I assume that Jesus is going to be doing this and that and the other. And I said, whoa, 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 you have mentioned all these things about the stuff that you're going to be illustrating around Jesus, but we haven't talked about what Jesus is going to look like. And she's mm-hmm. like, like, well, like Jesus, like everybody knows what Jesus was like. I was like, no, nah, <laughs> Jesus. I will not have blonde hair, blue eyes, Jesus. He will not have white skin. She's like, well, then what do I draw? <laughs> wow. And so we went on this quest to discover yeah, yeah. You no know, archaeologically 
um, study of people. I'm losing it here. Ethnographically. You know, ethnographically, yeah, sure, but that's not what anthropologically. Yeah. What would the historical Jesus look like to the best of our ability? And it was this eye-opening thing. She had never yeah. even wow. considered that Jesus wouldn't yep. look like what you see on the stained glass windows. Right. Yep. So that was fun. I don't know why I brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, this past Sunday, um, somebody told me I dropped the truth bomb because I said, you know, Jesus might not have been German. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, it, I'm surprised sometimes that the things that even I may take for granted that, you know, conversations and proximity can help. You can help people you can help each other in that way. So speaking of revealing truth, of seeing things that we were blind to, of participating and learning from people of other cultures, other backgrounds, and, and, and with a real sense that it is a Christian responsibility actually practice this way of life if we're considering that God's vision, God's hope, God's mission for the world is that ultimately we will all be gathered together and be able to praise God and not be upset with each other for speaking different languages or having different music or worship styles or whatever. Uh, we are, we are, working our way towards celebrating uh, as a nation uh, for the second time in history officially the 18th holiday and we had you on the show last year deandre to talk about this and it's it occurs to me and this is something that i have actually said from the pulpit to my congregation in this sermon series that if you are looking for an opportunity to practice, I'm, I'm talking to white Christians who are, com you know, comfortable in their small rural churches. If you're looking for an opportunity to practice this kind of learning, of being together, of putting ourselves maybe into situations of discomfort in order to make ourselves into the people that God hopes us to be in that new city, in that new Jerusalem, then Juneteenth at Lake Junaluska is a good opportunity to start that practice because there will be collective worship. There will be music that you may not know. There will be speakers telling stories that you may not have heard of. And so I've been really trying to encourage my congregation to do that. Not just that Juneteenth is the only day that we should be doing that and, and trying to open our eyes and see through the perspective of our neighbors, but, um, but that that could be a good, a really good way to start. And uh, it's always just a good time. It was a good time. Uh, so DeAndre, I wonder, you know, speaking of the, the celebration that, that we've been planning, what is, what is your hope for that day for Christian people in particular? Yeah, and um, it's kind of ironic that you chose the the the, uh, <laughs> the the section of scripture that you that you chose today. But yeah, a, a part of our mission is for, for folks to worship together. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, to, to, to be together. Um, we also hope to, to educate um, that people learn a little bit about American history, um, particularly the history of um, Africans in American, Africans uh, in America, and uh, hope to see it, hope that they get to see it as a part of you know, their history as well. And um, we make no mistake about it that it's, it's celebratory. We want to we celebrate because it's cause to celebrate that um, some folks who were once enslaved were now free and um and so we want it to be a celebratory occasion and um and i am I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say i now um, i understand 
Um, even thinking about how this, this worship service came together, um, people have an option. Um, white people have an option. Um, whether they choose to engage in learning about the history of African-Americans, whether they choose to, um, to educate themselves, um, whether they choose to be uncomfortable. And so um, we want to make sure that we create an environment. If there, if there, if there was discomfort, um, it would be not because we weren't thoughtful, but because people are exposed to new ways of worship. Um, uh, in, in, new com in new conversations that they haven't had before. And perhaps the Holy Spirit would guide them through some kind of sanctification uh, experiences while they're there. Um, they may not be uncomfortable, but they will make them more into the image of, um, of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I, I think, you know, going back to our scripture here from Revelation, when I, when I read about the, this tree of, of life with leaves for the healing of the nations, I think uh, a celebration like Juneteenth should give us cause to 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 reflect and, and to really wonder what is the healing that we need as a nation. And uh, you know, we don't have to look any further than the news from this past weekend of the of the of the racial uh, massacre in uh, in Buffalo, New York, to 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 recognize that this is the healing that we need. Yeah, you know. I, I preached at Snow Hill and Iola, man, through, you know, through the Floyd protest, um, you know, through, through the different election cycles. And uh, yeah, man, I, I, I hear this in the right way, but I think God gave me a grace for it and it hasn't been difficult. Um, with this last shooting, it's getting harder and harder. Um, yeah, man, and so um, it's just, it's, it's getting harder to be so considerate and so thoughtful. Right. It's getting harder and harder and not to say, this is evil and we're, we're, we're complicit. You're complicit in this in some ways. And so um, I don't know how that fits in our conversation, but I think that's a part of the healing that needs to occur. Honesty right. is a part of the healing that needs to occur. I'm glad you said that last thing about the honesty because there's, no, there's nothing wrong with saying this is evil. Mm -hmm. If we say, mm -hmm. now, granted, I make my sermons way in way in advance, and I didn't like cancel my sermon schedule and only talk mm -hmm. about this this past Sunday. Mm -hmm. But if if we refuse to say it or we actively avoid saying it, then we may be complicit. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong mm -hmm. with calling out the evil, right? Especially right. I mean, there's some things that are like some people think it's evil, some people don't, but. Mm -hmm. Shooting people is evil. Okay? <laughs> Motives aside, yeah. shooting mm -hmm. people is evil. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think that... I, I, I mean, who am I to absolve you of your guilt? But um, you are justified in feeling that it's harder, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But um, be encouraged to call mm -hmm. out obvious evil when you see it mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's what the church needs to be relevant in our society maybe then you'd have generation z and millennials wouldn't have the excuse of well the church doesn't speak to me or whatever it is that they're saying that they're falling away from the church because they're not hearing the truth yeah and that's the what truth. they say a lot of I mean, they I'm, I'm technically one of them but you hear that over and over again from millennials and from Generation Z, the reason I don't go is because I don't hear the truth. Well, give them the truth. 
Indeed. And be loving with it. But maybe we in the pulpits are complicit when we, for lack of a better term, chicken out of calling him. I know I have to write down my sermons. Uh, I'm usually a kind of an extemporaneous preacher, but if I need to talk about something where I feel there's a likelihood that in front of my audience, I will chicken out, then I I write it out so that I have to read it because I haven't practiced doing anything else. So, right. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, speaking of uh, how it's become harder, you know, I really want to acknowledge that, DeAndre, and, 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 and honor that. Yeah, I mean, you can only pull, pull the, the punches, whether it's from the news or whether it's from scripture, so yeah. much before. Yeah. Like, do, can we take the training wheels off now? You know, right, 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 right. I'm mixing metaphors here, but I no, I'm glad you did because following. Sunday, uh, let's see, Saturday, Friday, Friday, I took my kid out to ride his bike. He bought a bike. He went and got the money and, and sold some things and earned the money to buy a bike and bought it himself. And I was super proud of him. And then this is years ago, and he he wouldn't take the training wheels off. And finally, he got too big for the bike with the training wheels on. Get <laughs> to a certain point when you're top heavy and you bend them. So now, uh, let's see, Fry, he hasn't ridden it in a long time. Yeah. Because he's scared to because he doesn't have training wheels on. So he goes out on Friday and we go to our neighbor's house across the street and he starts riding his bike without the training wheels. What does he do? Falls over. He falls. Mm-hmm. going to take some blows when you take mm-hmm. the fall. Mm-hmm. But that's necessary to learn to keep going and to get better at something. Yeah. And so who am I to give you permission to do anything? Nobody. But I guess as your friend and colleague, take the damn training wheels off, mm. you know, and, mm. and be, be willing in love, mind you, be willing to take some risks. And I am the most risk averse pastor I've ever met. But <laughs> so clinically, I can tell you to be, be willing to take some risks. If yeah. as long as, and this is probably where it should start, as, as long as the spirit is leading you in that direction, as long as you're going to the tree of life and you're, you're, you're returning to your source of strength and it's not just you, it can't be political, mm-hmm. it can't be I feel like I want this outcome and therefore I should speak this way. And it certainly this will benefit me. It has to come from the spirit. But if that is the case, take them off, take the training wheels off. Yeah. We got to be willing just do so willing knowing that you may fall. We got to be willing to speak the truth. And I think like, you know, when we're talking about what is the outcome we want, well, uh, let's, let's focus on what is the outcome that God wants. Yeah. Know, and, and if we're in line with that, you know, then I think we're on the right path. Yeah, ultimately to me, the, the outcome is that the gospel is proclaimed and, you know, anything beyond that is God, you know, God's word. You know? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I, I have, I've encountered, as, as I'm sure both of you have, numerous uh, moments in ministry where it felt very scary to speak the truth. Uh, but 
but we betray our calling as as ministers of the gospel when we when we you know tell the world that we're trying to be walking in the footsteps of Jesus who called himself the way and the truth and the life and then we can't speak the truth i think honesty has to be uh, the, uh, the central component of of christian practice especially in america today because we have some stuff that we have not been honest about for a long time. And I'm hoping that Juneteenth will be an opportunity for this community to, to face that, to face that, that honesty a little bit and to try to practice uh, what it means to be together. I started off by you know, talking about this training that, that you and I, DeAndre, uh, were participating in over the weekend. and. Uh, and how I had two friends ask me where I saw God at work. And I had to mention the training because in my own personal story, like uh, I grew up in Minnesota. I didn't even know that I was Armenian, really. I didn't know what that meant. Um, and, uh, and was, you know, and have lived in white spaces very comfortably my whole life. And it was only really in 2016 that God kind of put me on this path towards looking at my own racial identity, how I benefit from just being white or being perceived as white. And, and I've gone through several anti-racism trainings since then, to the point that this weekend, though it was emotionally exhausting because I was empathizing with my friends of color in the room, when somebody would, some, some white clergy who's never been through this training before would say something whack. Uh, and I was also empathizing with these white pastors because I've been in their shoes and I've felt that guilt and that shame rise up in me and want to be defensive. And I felt like finally, um, I have done done enough work, I, not perfect, and I have a lot more to do, but I was, I've done enough work that I could be helpful in that space, mm-hmm. that I could take some of the questions and the doubts and the anxiety that my white colleagues were, were dealing with and help them process it so that people of color didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I've seen God recently. So, uh, in advocacy? I've seen God in reshaping me to be a person that can help advocate, advocate and bring change to the, the rest of the church. And honestly, the, 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 uh, the teachers in this, in this workshop, they asked at one point how we felt about doing the work that we had been doing. And a lot of people, I think they were looking for people to say like, frustrated or upset or it's hard it's difficult and I raised my hand I was like I feel like I'm finally around in in a conversation where I don't feel crazy (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah or whack (laughs) because the because this truth that we've finally started to look at as a nation has become part of my worldview to enough of an extent that like it's only when we actually are able to admit it and talk about it, you know, the, the racial disparities in this country that I feel like I'm actually having an honest conversation with people and I don't mm-hmm. feel like I'm hiding something. 
right, right. that's where I've seen God at work. And, and I really want that for not just the Methodist church, but for the, the whole nation to be able to get to that point where we can, we can talk about this mm-hmm. without it, you know, dragging up all of these <clears throat> emotions and everything. I mean, it's going to happen, but it's a process. And we, right. this as we look towards that hopeful vision that God has for how we can be together one day. Right. How'd you see God at work, DeAndre? In the training? I wasn't there, so I can't really weigh in, but you were. So. Yeah, in the, um, or, or in this preparation work as you've been doing some of the planning for Juneteenth, wh- whichever you, you comes to mind. How have I seen God at work? Well, um, when I heard that this training was mandatory, And then we showed up and it was helpful. And people were at least willing to listen. I thought that was a miracle. I, I thought it was a miracle <laughs> that people were, I mean, there was pushback because we have feelings, right? But that people were listening and open and may have felt some feelings of guilt, but work beyond that to being collectively responsible, sharing responsibility. Like I saw God at work in there. It's like, wow, you know, um, yeah. Because I, I, I've, I've been in Kentucky, I've been in Western North Carolina, I've been in Alabama, and uh, yeah. And so my hopefulness, it's like, it was that like a maybe a ten <laughs> for you know certain parts of the world becoming anti-racist. Um, and so it was miraculous for me to see that, it, that, that a space can be created um, where people um, who are in some ways privileged can almost be at the point where they can at least acknowledge their privilege and be at the tipping point for laying it down. I thought as that was, I saw God in that, you know. So um, the, the casual listener may think, well, if just hearing, just being open to listen is a miracle, that's kind of a stretch. Yeah. But the book of Acts would disagree with you because mm-hmm. the first miracle of the Spirit, mm-hmm. when the, the Spirit descends upon the disciples like tongues of fire, and mm-hmm. what happens? There's a hearing miracle. People's ears are open <coughs> with the message. And so to get a group of people together from diverse backgrounds, have them yeah. open listen is truly a miracle sorry to interrupt yeah. no that's great core and at the end of the day um we we were able to there were some points where we held our heads down in shame for ourselves and for one another you know feeling just the feeling but at the end of the day our eyes were open we were looking at one another face to face in each other's eyes and shaking hands and hugging you know it's like oh wow this <laughs> this this is yeah that was a downside definitely well DeAndre, could you share with us? I hope that we've generated enough excitement in this podcast that our listeners will be interested in coming out and celebrating with us on, on Juneteenth, June, June 19th. It's a Sunday afternoon. Would you give us some more details about the event? Yeah, um, it, it's for, for everybody. It's a family event. And uh, this year, the theme is, is a gospel celebration. And uh, from, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., um, 
there'll be um, food trucks and inflatables and uh, Dr. Tiffany Jackson, who's a, a professor over at WCU, I mean, the music department over there, she's going to perform and sing some songs. She's going to bring um, the gospel choir from WCU. Um, uh, Raquel Scott is forming, she performed last year, and she's forming a community choir um, that's going to perform. And just diverse voices, people coming together to sing gospel music. And it's going to be just hours um, of fun and learning and, and, and celebrating um, through and with, and with gospel music. And uh, it, the, the invitation is to, to everyone um, to come and celebrate and maybe even learn something in the process. So 1 to 5 p.m. at the Nancy Weldon Auditorium, uh, which is, yeah. mm -hmm. like, it, that is where the location is, right? I'm getting that right. It is. It's, it's, yes, and it's the Nancy Weldon Open Air Gym <laughs> um, uh, at Lake Junaluska. So if you haven't haven't been there, uh, you, I guess it's off of 1923, you take that entrance into Lake Junaluska and then you'll see the, the building for the Center for Evangelism on your left, and it, it's, uh, it's behind that. So you can either take that left or you can park right there, and it's, there'll be this big field uh, on your left, and, and that's where we'll be. And I'm so looking forward to it. And I think, you know, theologically speaking, this is the work that we need to be about. Uh, we need to be about uh, bringing people together and telling the truth, not sugarcoating it or pulling the punches, but being honest about the truth, but also being honest about what the hope, hoped for goal is of all of this. And we see it right here in scripture that God is ultimately trying to heal us. And that's going to take some discomfort along the way as we shed these burdens uh, that have been handed down to us, you know, the, this, this legacy uh, of racism, white supremacy in this country, like it will be painful sometimes to let go of that and to, to look at it and let go of it. But ultimately it is for our healing. Uh, so, so definitely please, if you're listening, make a point to come out and celebrate with us Juneteenth. We, we intentionally did not give you the history of Juneteenth this year. We did that last year. Please Google it. Read about it for yourself. Learn something, and come then learn about it at the celebration. And then, and then come and, and celebrate with us. So, any other thoughts? Last minute thoughts on uh, on the scripture, or the celebration, or, or God's hope. For I us? cherish every bit of time I get to spend with DeAndre. I look forward to all of our podcasts with you, and uh, of course, other times that I get to see you elsewhere. I'm not a Methodist, so I don't get to see you as often as Peter. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you guys as well. I think I, I am, um, I, more than that, I appreciate the opportunities that we've had to, you know, to be in the same place and to have conversation and to greet one another, you know, with love and, and to fellowship. And so thanks for the opportunity to, to share a little bit about Juneteenth today. All right, DeAndre, well, blessings upon you. From mm -hmm. Pastor Potluck, I'm Peter Constantian. I'm Court Green, and our guest has been DeAndre Ash. Glad you peace. Peace. Peace.